I am grateful to have my friend Benji Cowart join my friend Seth Brazier for worship this morning. Um, I, I will have to say, it's hard for me to get used to seeing Benji with a shirt tail tucked in, and it's hard for me to get used to having a shirt tail tucked in on my side. I feel like we have grown up in ministry at this point, but anyway, wonderful, wonderful to be able to see God bringing people together in the time of worship. All right, so I'm going to create a scenario, and I want you to see whether or not you can relate to any part of this. Let's say you pull up to a four-way stop, and there's only one other car at the same intersection. You all both get there pretty much the exact same time, so you really don't know who has the right of way, but you had a really good devotional time that morning, and uh, you're just kind of thinking to yourself, the effects of it is a solid B plus right now. The Christian thing to do would be to let this other person go. So with a smile on your face, you just give them a neighborly hand gesture to say, come on out, partner, I'll wait. And at the exact same time, they give you the same gesture to come on out. Apparently, they had a great quiet time too. And you're like, all right. So you both smile at each other just a little bit bigger and you enter the second round of intersection negotiations. <laughs> now, granted, you still don't know who actually has the right of way, but you want to make sure that they know you want them to go first. So with a little bit more dramatic hand gesture, you're like, it's right this way. You just kind of escort them that direction. And again, at the exact same moment, they give you a similar hand gesture back. Now, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. You're still smiling, but there's a, an annoyance kind of in your smile. You're not feeling quite as spiritual as you thought you were a few moments ago. Mentally, you've downgraded the effects of your quiet time to probably a C+. So you motion for them to go. They motion for you to go. And you both go at the same time. And you got to slam on the brakes at that moment. Now, you quickly, quickly, you scan their vehicle for an SCA or Sherwood sticker. <laughs> you know it's true. And they don't have one, and yours is covered up with like four months of road grime, so you're in the clear at this moment. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you lose it in the next few moments, you don't want to see them at church on Sunday. All right, so pause here for just a moment. Um, I have noticed I do not use my horn nearly as much being in Albany as I did in Las Vegas. People cut me off all the time, and I just sit there and smile. And the reason is, I know the first time I horn someone, it's going to be a charter member with five generations deep within the church right after that. I know it's going to happen. So I just sit there and smile, and I mumble the most versatile southern phrase that's ever been created. Bless your heart. That's it. Bless your heart, you don't know how to drive. Bless your heart, you need glasses. Bless your heart, you don't even need a driver's license. I mean, you could literally say whatever you want to if you preface it with bless your heart. Now I digress, let's go back to my intersection for just a moment. So now you're at this intersection and you grudgingly enter the third round of negotiations and this time it's not quite as neighborly. You are determined that that person is going to go in front of you. So your hand gestures are even more dramatic. All right. You're, you're giving them the business with your hand gestures right there. 
You're annoyed with them. They're annoyed with you. You've downgraded the effect of your devotional time to a D plus. You're just tired of playing. Whose turn is it anyway? Finally, they floor it through the intersection. You come out right after them, and then you both spend the next couple of hours just irritated with everybody that you see. Now, that is an exaggerated case. But if you've gotten to enough intersections, chances are you have encountered something like that. You you know that basic feeling of, do I go or do you go? Are you waiting on me or am I waiting on you? Is it my turn or is it your turn? That same stop-start confusion is very familiar to people who are waiting on God in prayer. The longer you wait at the intersection of confusion, the longer you are at that crossroads of decision, the harder it becomes to discern, God, are you waiting on me now or am I waiting on you right now? Is it your turn or my turn? Did did I miss the signal? Did I miss the nod? Did I miss the moment when you clarified the situation? Like, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? So on our final message of our wait series, I'm going to go back to a statement that I started with on week number one. Here's the statement I shared. God's silence may be no or not right now, but his silence is never yes. I want us to unpack that idea. I I want us to address the yes. How how do we discern what constitutes a yes from God? And no, to know it's God's will in that moment. One of the hardest parts of waiting is wondering. Wondering about God's will. Wondering about God's timing. Wondering about whose turn is it? Is God waiting on me? Am I waiting on God? Like, it's the wondering that causes people a lot of angst and frustration. So today, we're going to study discernment in the will of God. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16, we're going to be in verses 4 through 10. Acts 16, 4 through 10. Here's what it says, starting in verse number 4 and following. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the region of Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision... Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit guide us into truth, lead us in this time. May we walk away with greater discernment and understanding of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's your one-minute refresher for the entire series. Our key truth that we have been working on since week number one is God prepares us through the waiting to better embrace his will on the other side. God prepares us through the waiting 
to better embrace his will on the other side. And we have come at that particular truth from a number of different angles. So on week one, we talked about waiting for the Lord. And I gave an overview of what it means to wait for the Lord. And I also gave some statements, some truths to help people reshape their perspective of what waiting looks like. Then in week number two, we talked about when God seems silent. And I addressed that period of waiting that comes from our prayers to the timing of God's answer. Many times there is a waiting period that is involved. Then in week number three, we discussed learning to trust in fear and confusion. Whenever things get worse as you wait, if the problems grow, if the pain intensifies, many times you're dealing with fear as well as confusion. How can I continue to trust God when I don't know what God is doing and when everything inside of me in this moment just wants to run? We have to address, address the emotion of fear and confusion. All of that now leads into week number four. And we're talking about discernment and God's will. What we're trying to do today is clarify some of the confusion that comes from waiting on God's yes. When you're waiting on that yes, what are we supposed to do? Is it okay to move forward with some wisdom steps as we wait? Are we to sit motionless for every single piece that God is about to give? Like, what are we supposed to do during that time? This is one that calls for discernment and a basic understanding of God's will. Now, in this message, we are going to address the story of the Macedonian call out of Acts chapter 16. But before I get to that particular story, I want to share some principles related to God's will that helps us understand the story we're about to get into. In fact, the lion's share of today's message is going to be focused on these principles related to God's will. We're going to start there and see how they fit within the story itself. Now, as many of you all know, the Greek language is very clear, very specific with a lot of terminology. Probably one of the greatest examples that most believers would know is that there are four different words for love in the Greek language. So you have agape is one, storge, philea, as well as eros. Now eros is not mentioned in the New Testament, but each of those different words has a different definition and understanding that within context helps us know what love is being mentioned of in that particular text. I bring that up because God's will does not have that same setup. There is not specific terms for different facets of God's will. And that's what makes things very confusing because many times people are trying to use English words to capture this idea of God's will as found in scripture. So I just took some time and I wrote down Words or phrases used for God's will out of commentaries, out of devotional books, out of Christian literature, all of those things. I, I just want you to hear the number of ways this is used. People talk about God's determinative will, his desirous will, his perfect will, his permissive will, decreed will, perceptive will, directive will, discerned will, individual will, specific will, ideal will, moral will, sovereign will, decreative will, hidden will, revealed will, preferential will, prescriptive will, and desiderative will. I really think people are just making up words as they went along. Now, many of those terms refer to the same thing. It's just being described in a different way in a different context. So God's decreative, sovereign, and hidden will all refer to the same thing. God's perceptive, revealed, and moral will refer to the same thing. The problem is people are using different terms to capture a concept 
that there's not just this clear definition of that word in the language itself. That's the reason this can be confusing. So from the surface, when people start researching God's will, they can easily run into 19, 20, 25 different terms for God's will. They're like, well, which one am I looking at right now? So instead of us slicing and dicing 19 different terms, I'm going to show you the three ways God's will is mentioned in Scripture. Here's the first. The Bible speaks of God's predetermined plan, which he ordained from the beginning of time. That's the first part. This form of God's will is referred to as God's decreative, sovereign, or hidden will. It's God's ultimate will, which is hidden, and it is unknown until it occurs. His plan, it cannot be changed. His will cannot be thwarted. It includes things like God's covenants and his promises, as well as his choice of Israel as his chosen people. God's predetermined plan flows out of his sovereignty and flows out of his nature. He ordains everything to come to pass, and nothing happens outside of his control. Now, we see a part of that plan over in Ephesians 1.11 when it says that God predestines things according to his purpose, and he, quotes, works all things after the counsel of his will. That is this first part. Job recognized this part of God's will. Job chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, that word purpose, it speaks of forethought. God has purposed. God has planned. God has set an agenda in motion. And what Job was recognizing is nothing can get in the way of God's plan. His plan is going to happen. It, it cannot be thwarted. That is this idea of God's ultimate predetermined will. Now, this facet of God's will does not mean God causes everything to happen. Rather, it acknowledges that because he is sovereign, he is all-powerful, he is completely in control. Because he is sovereign, if it happens, he has at least permitted it to happen or allowed it to happen. In that sense, he has willed it to occur by allowing it to take place. God can choose to stop an action or an event if he decides. That's one way the will of God is mentioned in Scripture. The second is the Bible speaks of God's commands, his will, that is revealed in the Bible. Now, this form of God's will is referred to as God's perceptive, revealed, or moral will. Throughout the Bible, you will find phrases like this. The Lord said, the Spirit said, the word of the Lord came upon me saying. You also find places in Scripture it says that God's word is inspired. It is God breathed out. It, the word of God, one of the claims, basic tenets of Christianity, is the Bible is God's revelation of himself to humanity. So in other words, if you want to understand God's will, you see it revealed in God's word. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is our primary place that we are going to understand what is the will of God. Now, here's the thing. According to what we find, there's going to be this issue of the fact that as God's word is his will, if there is a command in scripture, you now just heard God's will as it relates to that topic. So when God's command is do not murder, when God's command is do not steal, you just heard God's desire, God's will, as it relates to murder and theft. 
It's right there in the word. When the word of God says that he, his desire is that we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you just found God's will, God's desire for that relationship. God's will is found in God's word. Now, here's the last way that God's will is mentioned. The Bible speaks of God's guidance or his will for individual people. Now, this form of God's will has been referred to as God's individual, specific, or ideal will. Now, we find this to be so clear through Scripture if you're paying attention to the small details. So, for example, most of the Apostle Paul's letters begin with this particular phrase. He is an apostle by the will of God. Now, that same calling was not given to everyone, but it was given to Paul. You also find that Philip was led by the Spirit to go to the Ethiopian eunuch. That was a specific leading for Philip in that moment. You find also that Paul was led by the Spirit to Macedonia. Peter was led by an angel of the Lord out of prison. All of those indicate that there are moments in which God, through his Spirit, leads people, individual people, in moments of time, and in those moments, it's specific to what he's wanting to do in that person's life. Here's the issue, though. We don't know the scope of God's individual will for us. And what I mean by that is when it comes to God's individual will, how much of God's will for our lives individually does he want to be in a place where it's him supernaturally moving circumstances to show us and how much of his will does he intend to be led by us being in scripture applying biblical wisdom and walking in right relationship with him the weight of evidence is that it's the second of those paths that is, God desires for us to live within the parameters of Scripture. This is where he has revealed his will, applying biblical wisdom. He gives us three entire books about wisdom found in the Word of God and walking in right relationship with him. When a person is walking in the Word, applying wisdom, spending time in right relationship with Christ, they will experience the will of God happening in their lives. Many times they're not having to ask other pieces, God, is this your, your will in this moment? It's just, here's what God is leading you to do in that moment. Now, that's your crash course on God's will as it's found through Scripture. How do we get our mind around those for this text? Part of God's will is hidden, and you only know it after it happens. Now, the great news on that is you don't have to figure that part out. You're not going to know until after it happens. Okay, so that part just kind of take off to the side. God is going to do what God is going to do, and he's not going to let you know in advance of that. Here's the second one. Part of God's will is revealed, and you can know it through Scripture. It's important to spend time in God's Word. That is where you're going to find His revealed will. And then there's part of God's will that is individual. And you discover it as you live within the parameters of Scripture, applying biblical wisdom, and walking in relationship with God. Now, I want us to take those principles. Let's drop it into this story. In Acts chapter 16... Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they are waiting on God for direction. 
This is a part of Paul's second missionary journey. And basically, they are traveling west through Asia Minor. And as they go, they're sharing the gospel, they're making disciples, they're strengthening churches, they're starting churches. But then they find themselves in this season where the Spirit of God keeps stopping them and not allowing them to go in certain directions. They try to go one way, Spirit of God stops them. Try to go another way, Spirit of God stops them. Again, specific to what they're walking through right here. But it's in this story that we can actually find some universal principles of being led by the Spirit of God that's helpful for every single one of us. So I want to cover those right now. When you're trying to discern God's will, first piece, do what God has already called you to do. Do what God has already called you to do. There's a statement that's been around for a long, long time. Bloom where you're planted. If God has put you in a certain place, you continue to do what God has called you to do. And the reason we have to point this out is because as believers wait on the big answer, whatever that specific one might be for their life, it's important that we continue to do the things God has already clearly told us that we're to do. Sometimes Christians can get lazy in the process of waiting. As we wait, as we pray, as we seek, as we hope, as we tell everybody else, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. Many times as we're waiting in those moments, we can find ourselves walking in disobedience from the general Christian principles for living. And what I mean by that, general Christian living is we do what we know to do regardless of what you're praying about in that moment. You may be praying about God's will for a financial problem. You may be praying about God's will as it relates to a new job or a relational crisis or a future spouse or the purchase of a home or the purchase of a vehicle. Whatever it might be, you need to pray about it. That is a part of the Christian life. We pray about everything. But listen, praying about things in that area, whatever it is, does not release us from doing what God's already told us to do in the other areas. It doesn't matter about the specifics of what you are praying about. We still need to be with God in his word. We need to be with God in prayer. We need to be with God in biblical community. We need to go to work. We need to lead our families. We need to serve according to our gifting. We need to handle our responsibilities. We need to live the life that God has already placed us on. And I know this sounds weird, but here it is. Sometimes people don't know what the one area is so they stop doing anything in every area. And they're just like, I'm just going to sit here until God tells me to do something. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to commit to anything. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be in community groups. I'm not going to serve. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. You do in the waiting what he's already called you to do all the time. So in this area, the Apostle Paul and Silas, and Timothy, and Luke, they're waiting for God to give clear direction, but they still served God in the process of waiting. Look at verse number four. While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. As a result of them serving while waiting for clear direction, verse 5 says, the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. 
there is a great lesson, life lesson that we find right here. We become in the end what we practice in the journey. Oh, you need that one this morning. That's a good word. We become in the end what we practice in the journey. If we want to be people of prayer in the end, you need to be people of prayer in the journey. If you want to be spiritually mature in the end, you need to take spiritually mature steps in the journey. Now, the opposite side of that is also true. If we're lazy and disobedient and spiritually immature in the journey, you may be waiting a long time in order to get the answer you're looking for, and you're not going to be prepared for that answer even if it were to come right now. We become, in the end, what we practice in the journey. God's working the details out through the process. When you're trying to discern God's will, do what God has already clearly told you to do. The next piece, walk forward in obedience to God while applying biblical wisdom. Walk forward in obedience to God while applying biblical wisdom. So let's talk about the first part of that statement. Walk forward in obedience to God. So here's the big picture. Big picture of what they're actually doing in the process. Jesus has called his disciples to make disciples of the nations. That's the big picture of what's happening. Now we find in this that Paul and his companions are about that business. They are traveling. They're on their second missionary journey. They are traveling, making disciples, strengthening believers, starting churches along the way. So they are doing the big thing. So the big part is they're going to go and make disciples. But here's the thing. The specific parts are not always clear. Where do we go? Who do we take? How long do we stay at each moment along the way? Like, those are things that also factor into your next couple of steps. So read what it says in verses 6 through 8. They passed through the, the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. By the way, we don't know the full details of what that looked like. We get this statement. What that looks like, we, we just don't know the full details. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, we don't know the full details of what that looked like. It just tells us the Spirit of Jesus forbid them, did not permit them to do this. So here's what we do know. They're trying to follow God's general plan of making disciples. And the Holy Spirit is stopping them from going in certain directions. There's another great, incredible lesson right here. If the Holy Spirit stops you, even while doing the right thing, stop. Stop. He sees what we do not see. He knows what we do not know. He, he understands what's coming down the road. Sometimes it's just you don't know all the pieces, but you know he said stop. If that's the case, you stop. Now, notice how wisdom is in play in what's taking place here. The group is coming from the east. Now, we know that because it tells us they've already stopped in Syria and Cilicia, chapter 15, verse 41. They pick up Timothy in the Derbe and Lystra area, chapter 16, verse 1. And then they go through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, chapter 16, verse 6. But then verse number 6, it tells us they're forbidden by the Spirit 
to take the word into Asia. That's the region to the south of them. So they make the next logical decision. They start going north. Verse 7 says they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Bithynia would have been a very logical place to go because of a large population density and a heavy concentration of Hebrew people. Now, so put it all together. They start in the east, and as they go west, God is blessing. He's blessing. He's blessing. But then all of a sudden, they have a change of plan. They're like, maybe I need to go to Asia. They tried to go south. Spirit, nope. They're like, okay, maybe I need to go north. Spirit of God's, nope. They're already coming from the east. It doesn't make sense to go back towards the east where they've just been. So they keep going towards the west, and that's when this vision occurs. This is the, the vision that came to Paul, the man of Macedonia. He's calling out to them. He's saying, come over to us. Here's the beauty behind this. A major part of discerning God's will is obeying his clear commands and walking wisely through decisions. It's walking wisely through those decisions. I was preparing for this message. I started thinking about one of those specific to myself and Benji. When God called us to move our families from the south to go plant a church out in Las Vegas, one of the first things that we were praying about is that God would provide a public meeting location. Um, we started within the home. Things got up to 40, 50 people within the home, and we were looking for a public meeting place. Now, we didn't have a lot of specifics, but we knew a couple of basic things. If you're trying to start a church, it needs to have a room big enough for public gatherings. That makes sense. There needs to be enough parking to get people in. That makes sense. There would need to be a place for children to be. That makes sense. And we knew that God had called us to start a church in southwest Las Vegas. So it just needed to be somewhere within the southwest part of the city. Those were the pieces we knew. So we start going through the logical places of, let's go see if there will be a school that will let us in. We went to 29 different schools on the southwest side of town. All 29 said, nope, not letting you in. We went to strip malls. Nope. We went to warehouse spaces. Nope. We went to community clubhouses. Nope. We went to other churches. Nope. Everywhere we're going, it was a solid no. In fact, we went back to some of those same schools a second time, and they were no again. They were least consistent within their messaging. And then one day, we get this email, random email that came through that says, the president and CEO of Regal Cinemas is a Christian, and they open their theaters for churches. So we go online and we look, and there's two Regal Cinemas on the southwest side of town. Benji goes over, talked to one of the managers, and within like two hours, we had a signed contract and started meeting for worship services in a theater in a casino in Las Vegas. By the way, we were the only Southern Baptist church in 50,000 <laughs> Southern Baptist churches that met regularly for worship in a casino. So we would tell our story to people, and people would all the time ask us the question like, so what were you guys doing? How did you know it was God's will to meet in the theater in a casino? We didn't. He just kept shutting every door around us. It's like when every door gets shut, and then there is this one that comes open, sometimes it is simply walking in the wisdom that God has provided in that moment. It doesn't mean you just stop and like, God, until you bring the space to us, we're going to sit here and do nothing. 
Rather, it is, God, we're going to keep serving you. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep looking. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep knocking. We're going to keep seeing what you're doing. And eventually, God has a way of guiding us to exactly the place he wants us to be. Here's the last part. When you're trying to discern God's will, let God's nudges strengthen your faith. In verses 9 and 10, there's one word that jumps out to me. It's the word concluding in verse number 10. Luke said, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding, it means to drive together or to unite. It implies a process that leads to a conclusion. So as the individual pieces of information were coming together, as the Spirit forbade them from going north and forbade them from going south and they're going across the way and then there's this vision that comes in and the guy's saying, come to Macedonia and that's still towards the west. Here's what happened. All the pieces started to unite together and pointed in one direction. And here's what he said. We concluded... We determined, based on where all the evidence was going, we determined that God was calling us to Macedonia. If you are waiting on God to write out every piece of his instructions within the clouds, you may be waiting for a really long time. He will give ample information to make a key decision. But there's a point in which you get to when your heart is right before the Lord. Your motives are pure. God, I want to honor you in this. Your desire, God, would you live your will through me in this moment? And God keeps giving those nudges. And, and you'll know the nudges because it's, you see things in the word. You, you see things, God answering prayers. Godly counsel comes and points in that same direction. Circumstances begin to align. And it's all, here it is, it's coming in one direction. It's aligning in that place. When you get to that point, here's what you do. You say, God, as best I know how to discern your will in this moment, I'm trying to walk in obedience. And it looks like every piece is lying in this direction. I'm going to step out in faith, trusting that you're the one guiding me in this process. Now, somebody might say, but, but Paul, hold on just a moment. Didn't you say if God is silent, it may be no or not right now, but it's never yes? 100% I said that. But that's not God being silent. That, that is God using counsel. That is God using wisdom. That's God using circumstances and people, and he's aligning pieces in place. The reason we need to bring this up is because sometimes when people are waiting on God and are seeking the will of God, they move into paralysis mode. That they think that if I mess this up, if I, if I take a misstep in this one moment, then God's going to zap me with a bolt of lightning here. That is a lack of understanding of who God is as your heavenly father. If you think about it from the perspective of a parent to your child, if your child comes to you and says, I want to honor you, I want to respect you, I want to do what is right, I've been praying about this, I've been seeking the direction, and I believe this is what you would have me to do. Even if it's wrong, tell me the parent who's like, I can't believe you would do that. And yet sometimes that's the way we respond to God. We feel like God is just there waiting to zap us at any moment. When you walk in submission to God, 
when you are applying the truths of God's word, when you are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and he is nudging you in this direction, and it's aligning in this direction, here's what you do. God, as best I know how, I want to follow what the Spirit is leading in my life. I am going to continue to move forward, trusting if you want me to stop, you can tell me. The will of God and discernment is one of those things that either believers skip over because they feel like it has to be something that is so magical and supernatural and like God wrote out his will in your Cheerios on an on a individual morning. It's like unless that happens, they're just going to sit and wait. There was a lesson that God taught me a number of years ago. That is, God has a way of hitting a moving target. As you keep serving him, as you keep sitting with him in the word, as you keep with him in prayer, he has a way of aligning things to get his word, his will, his way to you at the right time. So now let's bring it all together. God's silence may be no or not right now. Silence is never yes. If God has clearly revealed his will in his word, we must obey. If the word is not specifically addressing your situation, he gives us wisdom to choose in the moment. When the nudges of God, the wisdom of God, the circumstances are all aligning in one direction, move forward in faith. But listen, if there is still confusion, if there is a lack of peace in your heart, if there is a check in your spirit, if godly counsel is saying, no, stop, don't do it, stay in the holding pattern of waiting. God leads his people to the overflow of our relationship with him. But listen to this. This guidance will never contradict his revealed will as found in the word. And a failure to study scripture is not an excuse for needing additional guidance. If he has clearly put it in the word, don't say, God, I don't know what you need me to do in this moment. No, you do. You're just not willing to do it. It's in the word. So when you only get silence, wait. When you get mixed signals or counsel, wait. If there's a lack of peace, confusion, a check in your spirit, wait. But when the peace is aligned, God's word, God's wisdom, godly counsel, affirmation and prayer, circumstances in one direction, move forward in faith. God prepares us through the waiting to better embrace his will on the other side. So as we close out this morning, I don't know what everybody is waiting for. I do know that a lot of people have messaged me, they've talked to me in the hallways, and they've just said, this series has come at a time I really needed some truths on waiting on God. So I don't know where you might be. It might be today that God is confirming some things where you're saying, you know what? God, you have aligned all of those things. And right now, my next step is to move forward in obedience. It might be that some of you are about to make a bad decision, a bad decision. And this morning it's been confirmed because there's not peace in your heart. There's confusion in your mind. And multiple people around you are saying, don't do it. 
don't do it, don't do it. And you're like, but I'm just tired of waiting. Wait on the Lord. He clarifies his direction. I'm going to ask you if you would just bow with me for a moment of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. In a moment, I'm going to have a word of prayer over top of the congregation, over top of just the people. We're going to have our worship team. They're coming back to the front. Our pastors and some of the pastor's wives will be along the front. Some of the counselors will be down as well. If you need somebody to just pray with you, I would encourage you. Don't wait on that. Just come and share. I need prayer in this. There will be people who would love to pray with you. But wherever you might be, whatever you might be waiting on God for right now, I'm going to encourage you, follow the biblical principles as it relates to his will and discernment. So as the band, the musicians are getting in place, I want to just simply pray over the congregation for those who are watching online that God meets people exactly where they are. So let's, let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, you alone know the thousands and tens of thousands of decisions that are going on right now in the minds of your people. And Lord, you know the areas that you are bringing into alignment and the direction that you have for individual lives and also what is generally found in your word. So Lord, I pray today that if there are those who have been waiting on you and they're wondering, is it God's turn or my turn? Lord, may that be clear today. May they 100% know what the next step needs to be. Lord, I pray that you would bring that peace, you would bring that comfort, you would remove confusion, you would give the courage to step out in obedience. And Lord, if there's anybody right now who is listening in the room, watching online, and they're about to make a bad decision, one that will have years and years, many times of ramifications, and it's not that you have been unclear, it's they just don't like the clarity you've provided. Oh God, I pray that you would give them the courage to continue to wait, the affirmation from those around them that this is exactly what you're calling them to do in this moment. Lord, we need you to help us understand what what it looks like to walk in accordance with your will, being led by your spirit. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.